want to change the world, start off by making your bed. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made. That you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from that introduction. This is episode 53, as I stated earlier. Today, I have a former student and a guest that's nearly 21. He is midshipman Riley Wharton from the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And it's an honor to have Riley on here because we were supposed to meet recently for uh, lunch. And it was my fault that we didn't get a chance to meet up in person. So I'm having to talk to him over a Zoom. But I, I haven't actually had a conversation with Riley uh, like this in years. So since his senior year on there. So I look forward to kind of going through this journey vicariously through him. Uh, Riley, it's great to have you on the show and your first podcast. How's it feel? Feels great. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. And, and again, no different than the torture I used to put Riley through as a student all the time with these kind of discussions. So he, none of these questions are going to surprise him uh, whatsoever. So Riley, uh, obviously our listeners, or at least many of them, uh, don't know you nearly as well as I do. But could you just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a background about you, about yourself, about maybe where you're from, your family, your education, and any interest you might have? So um, I've lived in Logan County since about 2003. Uh, went to Logan County High School. I have four sisters. Two are adopted. One's from China and one from the Marshall Islands. And um, in high school, I was really active in extracurricular activities, sports. Um, I was a swimmer and uh, made it to the state level. Um, and I've had interest in the Naval Academy since about sixth grade year. And so I started my application process in high school and uh, ever since then it's been kind of history and I've uh, been working at it since as long as I can remember. And how often do you really hear stories about that Riley where they, they go they follow through like that? So you said since sixth grade you've had an idea of wanting to go to the Naval Academy. Yeah sixth grade year was um, we were my dad was in the army and we were stationed at Fort Meade which is like 30 minutes away from Annapolis Maryland. And uh, we would come every once in a while and visit the yard. And ever since then, I just thought, man, this place is the bomb. I want to go here. <laughs> and so after that point, I just kind of figured out what I needed to do. I looked up on the internet, the stuff I needed to do and started doing it at a young age and then started fulfilling the mission and got it accomplished. Well, this may be premature to bring this up, but having grown up so close to it and hadn't been there before on the yard, Whenever you went there, when you showed up for your visit, your first visit again, or maybe even on your first official day back there, did did it seem very familiar to you? I assume, though, in that in the amount of time, it probably changed quite a bit uh, as well. Yeah, it changed a little bit, but the cool thing about the Naval Academy is a lot of the stuff stays the same. So, like the the tradition and the um, the structure and the buildings and just how the academy looks. 
So um, it was just, uh, in some ways it changed, but I pretty much remembered like the chapel is a staple. You you can see the chapel from miles away and it's incredible. Yeah. And that's what kind of one of those amazing things just about architecture in general, that, that kind of classic older style architecture. That's, that's there's just something just really amazing about that. And, and again, I, I have no doubt, Riley, that first uh, time that you were there, I think the first visit for the parents where you, I think you guys were, were more dressed up, just some of those pictures from not just the way you all looked, but just the campus itself or, or the area where you all were at. It's, it's amazing uh, oh, what it's it looks beautiful. like. Yeah, now, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, and, and Riley, just just to kind of again, again, this is three years ago, but we're going to try to just start back at that foundation of where you're at. Uh, so before I get to your reaction, I, I had you kind of talked about you remember since you were really young wanting to be able to do this kind of moment, and and just to clarify that too, how often do we hear students not even really know at all what they want to do, even up into their senior year, which is understandable for some, but it's like you had that aim and you've always been kind of working towards some kind of aim. The fact that you achieved that aim is, is incredible and itself. But trying to go back to that, that senior year, before we get to your reaction, when you found out you were accepted, uh, what I want to do is, let's go back and look at Riley Warden in high school. So from <laughs> freshman Riley, the, the scared freshman, whenever you all showed up on that first day, mixed together with all these people, all the way your senior year, how would you describe Riley now looking back in retrospect? How would you describe yourself? Because we know that obviously you were, you were a successful athlete, especially as a swimmer on there, and you were highly involved in JROTC. Uh, and, and very, I'm very lucky so, too. You, a lot of students looked up to you greatly in that program. But just looking back at yourself in general, your identity, the, the way you viewed yourself back in the way you viewed the world maybe even at that point um because i feel like your parents really structured you in a way where even though you grew up in a very conservative area in a small town kind of area you like you said you, you adopted children you all adopted children from outside the united states you've always been very open-minded about other people so what what was riley like in high school uh you know i was kind of quiet reserved um always made sure to get my work done and um yeah, I just always had a mindset of getting things done to accomplish whatever the the greater perspective was, to be honest. So, um, like, sometimes people might have thought I was a little detached from just kind of the normalcy of high school. But in my opinion, I was just more focused on the goals that I had had set uh, for my life. So I just had an extreme amount of focus and some people kind of got deterred from that, to be honest. Well, and again, everybody takes things so much differently. I mean, life, as we know, we've discussed this before, can be so subjective. But especially in high school, Riley, I think many individuals, and maybe myself included here, we have kind of this stereotypical, stereotypical lens that we view high school students in, that you have to have this normal social experience in high school. And you, you got to be able to go out and do this and do that and get distracted. And in some ways, though, too, that experience can also cultivate more distraction, uh, more stress and anxiety on yourself, depending on what's going on. My, my thing is, I, I did notice that about you. You've always been very respectful, very calm, very focused. Not, not, I shouldn't say calm as in monotone. Like whenever <laughs> in, there were moments of intensity that was needed, you were right there, man. I think that's, that was something that's so surprising about you sometimes because you could be so 
like uh, just reserved in class and, and opinionated, but you were just very calm, polite. But whenever there was moments of like basketball games or football games and we needed that kind of pep rally guy, you were like the spearhead. So it's like, <laughs> I don't want our listeners to necessarily think that, well, Riley was just massively introverted or social, had a social anxiety necessarily that you didn't like socialize because you you did. You were kind of the spearhead of that. I've always thought that was very impressive that you – you knew when to really get your work done and to stay focused, but having that that aim for yourself and that expectation, it, to me, it sounds like it helped you get through high school much more successfully and prepare you for later. Because as you haven't already probably found out, Riley, the world is so much bigger outside of Logan County High School, as great as the school is. And when you're in school, I think as a student, just like I was in high school, it can be easy to get caught up to think this is as good as it's going to get, or this is the big, this is as big as the world gets, because that, that that's relative to your existence. I mean, this is what you've known, but I that have your eyes on the prize and that, that aim for a long time. I think it really helped you tremendously. Now, um, whenever you were younger, not just in high school, but just throughout your life before you left Logan County, did you and your family have a tendency to travel quite a bit? Um, you know, not not too much, but um, I think just having two adopted sisters and my my mom was always just um, such a uh, social person, you know, yeah. and uh, such an accepting person. Such an I was just it's such an honor to have her as a mother. But um, she really taught us to be kind to others and be respectful and like just kind of understand where people are coming from because everybody's got a different backstory reasons they are the way they are and um you know that just kind of shaped me throughout high school and before that and that doesn't surprise me at all i remember when i first got down here about 10 to 12 years ago uh it seems so much longer now when i think back on that but i remember your mom and your family was one of the first ones I met it wasn't that first year I had your sister Sheldon which she was incredible she was a great student wonderful person person, phenomenal person Uh, the career that she does fits her perfectly wonderful mother uh so I I was very honored to have her Uh, and and it's funny because uh, then I had two of your sisters uh after that uh and then I was lucky enough to have you so between your family and the McGinnis family, I feel like I've had like at least a big <laughs> half chunk of your family yeah. over that portion of time. Of course, I, I haven't had the privilege of having all of your siblings. Um, I knew Gracie pretty well in high school. I always talked to her a lot, checked in with her, helped her out, gave her advice. She was even my teacher's aide at one oh, point, really? <laughs> but she was, she was my first teacher's aide that was never a student of mine. So that, that was kind of a, a unique thing there too, because I think she had a pre premeditated like view of me before she got up there because of you and your other siblings kind of telling her about me. But again, your family was always super kind to me, very open to that. And the only reason why I asked that, Riley, is because uh, you're open-minded and you were driven with your aim. But something I noticed with many students that leave high school and go to college of some nature is that homesickness part. I always told you all that if you can make it past that first three months or so, you're going to be fine, usually. And a lot of students have a tendency to fail out of college or or move back within that first three-month window or at least the first semester or get in trouble and get kicked out, whatever (laughs) there might be. But I guess just kind of for you in general, whenever you were moving away and you first got up to there, um, did you feel that pressure of homesickness at least at the onset? Oh, yeah. It was uh, was – insane how much I missed home especially during the first couple months where they have the this thing called pleep summer and you're just 
they shave your head. It's basically like boot camp and they're just treat you like a pile of crap. And um, yeah, I really missed home a lot. I got really good letters and um, the support system I have is just absolutely incredible. And it just got better and better. But, you know, the relationships I've grown here, the friends I have are just people that I'll know for the rest of my life. They're just incredible people. So I wouldn't have it any other way. So like you said, that first three months was pretty tough. But after that, just settled in and made it made it my own home. I guess that's that key there, Riley, is trying to find a, a window of time to be able to settle in a little bit. Yeah. I've always been a strong believer, just like whenever I had you in class, we would uh, analyze a painting or a photograph or something, really tear it apart and really discuss what, what we think it means. And I've always been a believer in that picture's worth a thousand words, because when I see pictures of you and your friends from the Naval Academy o- online, your mom she does a really good job of sharing and keeping us up to date <laughs> on, on yourself, probably like most mothers and fathers would proudly do in that kind of situation. And, and I see these people and all these different kinds of people from different places that you wouldn't normally see in Logan County. And, and I think to myself, it's awesome that Riley has all these friends he's met there, but I know that there's much deeper story there and bond than beyond those pictures. Uh, the conversations you've had with these people, the, the casual times you've had with them, along with also the struggles you've all had academically, physically through training. Um, it, it's pretty incredible. Like one day, I swear, I think I saw a, a, like a training video because they, they'll, they'll push videos out that are professionally made and I'll see you in them. Uh, and I, I saw you on one of the sailboats and I thought to myself, how does Riley know how to do that coming from Logan County, Kentucky? And that was oh, one of those, boy. that was one of those things where I thought, man, if I was thrown in that situation, like Riley is there, I don't even know if I would be able to, to handle that. Uh, not that ROTC didn't get you ready for a lot of these different kind of exercises on there, but there, we'll get to some of those later, uh, Riley, because I don't want to jump too far ahead into that. Let's, let's do one more about your high school experience. So Riley, something that I wish so bad I would have had an opportunity to do. There was one day, I can't remember exactly when, where I think that as a senior, you had some free time, but you actually came down during my planning. You were like, hey, I just wanted to check in on you and just to see if you wanted to, to catch up a little bit. And I, I was just surprised that you know I got a free time to talk to you. So I got some time to talk there, but it was before you found out. You had said before we started recording, I think it was around February of your senior year, uh, that you got your acceptance letter from that. So could you tell our listeners, when did you actually apply to the Naval Academy? So I'm trying to get a window of how long you really had to wait, which can't, I can't imagine that wait time. And then I got to know, man, what was that feeling like when you when you got that letter? Can you, maybe even this, because I, I always like to be the fly on the wall. Um, where did you open up the letter at? How did you read it? Who was in front of you whenever you found that? Just try to flash us back to three years ago when that happened. Yeah. Well, um, so I started my application process at the end of junior year. Um, that's when you, that's like the earliest you can start it. So I was like, I'm going to get this thing done as soon as possible. Let them know that this is where I want to go. So I got it done within a couple of months. I had everything done. You have to get, you know, congressional nominations and those take a whole another application process. You had to do interviews. I was setting those up. Um, I'd gotten all of my stuff submitted by early August, which is just normally way earlier than most applicants that get accepted. And um, I didn't hear about my application until Valentine's Day in February of my senior year. So that entire semester and a half basically was just sitting there waiting. 
And I had backup plans just in case, but I was praying to the Lord that this one would work out. And when I got the news, it was uh, through an email, which is not usually how they do it. Sometimes you'll get a call from your congressman or uh, you'll get a big certificate in the mail. I, did, I didn't get that until a couple of weeks later, but I got an email saying I got accepted and it was just one of the best feelings in the world. You know, <laughs> I was in... Um, I was in JRTC, I think it was just kind of a, a free block, and I got the email, and I was just so excited. I actually, I was so pumped, I, I called my mom, and we got out of class, and we drove to see my dad, and I just remember I gave him the biggest hug I've ever given him in my entire life, and we just were so happy that I had got accepted in the first time, you know. Um, a lot of people you'll meet here didn't get in the first time. Some people even, it took them three tries to get in. So I was extremely fortunate to be able to get in here the first go around. Well, Roddy, thanks for walking us through that. Now, the, the, and sharing the fact that you, you like left school with your mom, went to go surprise your dad. What, what was your dad's reaction? I know you gave him the biggest hug and you were a strong guy. So I, I have no doubt that was a, <laughs> that was a, that was a tough hug. But uh, what, what was your father's reaction having his background in the military too? And now to know you're going to be going to one of the most prestigious military schools in the country. Yeah, he, was, um, he was so excited. I think he might have shed a couple of tears. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he's not a very emotional guy, but it was uh it was a great moment. And funny thing is, you know, the army and the Navy have all our uh, rivalries, you know, the army Navy game is so big, but he's like, I don't even care, man. He just got into one of the, the uh, top service academies in the United States. And it was just such a proud moment. Yeah. I mean, how cool is that? Just, just thinking of your, uh, you know, your life just in general, someday in many years down the road, whenever we're long gone, you know, people doing their research on, on some kind of advanced family tree, something probably better than ancestry and all these other things later, they're, they're going to see individuals like you, you're going to see Roddy Warden went to the Naval Academy and, and did so many other amazing things after that. And we'll talk a little bit later on about maybe your future plans going into that too. Do you mind if I ask you a follow-up question based on your answer about your experience? Yeah, sure. I think it might actually help some of our future listeners as far as, especially if they're interested in going or trying to apply to that. Now, you said mm -hmm. something that was really interesting to me earlier that I have no doubt, and I wasn't surprised that you did well. You mentioned interviews. Now, yep. I know this is pre-COVID, obviously. Pre-COVID. So uh, whenever, <laughs> but again, you, you lived in Logan County, Kentucky, so southwestern Kentucky, when you wanted to go to, to Maryland for this school, how were the interviews conducted? So for the academy, um, you've got a couple interviews. You've got your blue and gold officer interview, which is usually a retired officer in the Navy or Marine Corps. They most of the time went to the Naval Academy and they're all throughout the United States. So you'll get in contact with the one that's closest to you and uh, you'll set up a meeting with them. And that one is like, no joke, I was real scared going into that one because uh, <laughs> it was about two hours of just the guy talking to you about the academy, but it was really just a conversation about what the academy's like and if you're a good fit or not. And one boost of confidence at the end of that interview, he said, you'll do great at the academy. And I was like, how does this guy know I'm going to get in? Yeah, yeah. That had to be a good <laughs> but, sign. You're like, hey, wait a second. What's he trying to say there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that, was, that was a good interview. And then the congressional ones, usually when you apply for your congressional nominations, you um, have interviews and it's not with the congressman, it's with the board 
and they're all usually retired military, really high ranking officers. Some of them probably went to a service academy and they'll ask you some generic questions on like your application process and uh, like who you are and whether it's a good fit or not. Now, were there any questions, Riley, this we're calling back that were more unusual, maybe even caught you off surprise or because when you said generic, I think much more uh, general level uh, basic getting to know you questions, maybe even job interview style questions, nothing too surprising, but was there anything that kind of caught you by surprise? You know, for the ones that I had, no, but so one of my other applications uh, for an NROTC scholarship, it was, there were a couple questions. They had more leadership based questions and um, I didn't, ha- I hadn't prepared as much for those. And they asked me like what I would do in this scenario and uh, that kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah, I did, and again, I did fine, but yeah, that, that that was my pathetic attempt when you were in high school trying to get you ready for moments similar to that. Was I'm just going to ask you questions off the fly and devil's advocate the hell out of you mm-hmm. to get you to think on your feet quicker. But again, a lot of teachers were always kind of uh, putting that foundation into you. Uh, one more question, Riley, about uh, what you had said about your experience. Uh, of course. It's always good to have contingencies. Uh, consider those you know, potential consequences of what if I don't get in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Could you share with us maybe a little bit of what were those backup plans that you had in case the Naval Academy acceptance didn't come? Yeah, so I was dead set on the Navy. Um, so there's a lot of other options to become a commissioned officer in the Navy. So um, big one is NROTC and they have this national scholarship you can apply for and you can choose whichever university you want to um, they like it to be in state, but in my case, there's no NRTC colleges in Kentucky. So I applied to Virginia Tech and had a full ride scholarship to Virginia Tech um, through that application process if I didn't get into the Naval Academy. That's awesome. The, the fact that you had another, a really good opportunity. Not that the, obviously the one you're in now is great, fantastic, but just yeah. in case, at least you knew you had got accepted. Now, I recall my senior year, you know, going through a lot of different kind of scholarship applications and trying to find out, you know, what school you wanted to go to. A lot of high school students struggle with that and maybe even have existential crises peppered throughout the year. Going there. How, how stressed were you? Because especially before February came along, um, I assume that maybe not as stressed because you did get a full ride offer with Virginia Tech, which was great. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess for you, for my seniors this year that had me in the past or my, my sophomores now that will be seniors, if they listen to this later, which of course I'm going to encourage them to listen to this. Cause of course you, you get a chance to listen to somebody from Logan County that had these goals set and he was able to persevere through all kinds of challenges in high school. And you be able to get to that point. What advice would you offer a senior that might be stressed out a lot this year, trying to apply for different scholarships, especially if they already have their mind dead set on what they want to do and where they want to go, but maybe they're waiting on that. Maybe they're trying to figure out, you know, what kind of scholarships do I need to get for? And then they have, they're kind of peppered through some breakdowns. What advice would you offer for them, Riley? Yeah, I would, um, I would say most importantly, just be adaptable. Um, Sometimes your plan A won't work out. And that's really definitely been a learning lesson here at the Academy and just throughout my life. Um, Always have some backup plans just in case. So if you're really dead set on something, there's got to be some sort of plan B that still can get you there. So whatever scholarship it is or whatever school it is, it might not be your first choice, but if it gets you to the right destination, then that's a success in my book. So just put a lot of research into what you wanna do and figure out 
multiple paths to get there and just kind of uh, go after it from there. Yeah, you always have to plan for that fork in the road uh, yeah. at some point. And it's cool because you you stated earlier that you knew for sure you wanted to be in the Navy. So you're like, I'm going to find a way to get in the Navy. If it's not this preferred way I want to go, I'm going to find some way to be able to get to that area. It's where I had a conversation recently with a former student that's been out a couple of years, but recently changing their major, uh, major to being a veterinarian. And uh, they had their mind set on a specific school for that and ended up switching to taking different classes at Campbellsville University and then working their way around to that part. And I think that that's kind of important. If, if you know for sure that's where your heart's on, uh, like being a teacher or something like that, you know, you might have your mind set on someplace, but always have some kind of a backup plan in case something happens. Because, you know, there's thousands and thousands of people also trying to seek those opportunities, too. And, and it's something that I always thought you did really well, Riley, is making yourself as marketable as possible uh, to try to enhance your skills, not just uh, academically, because you were a strong academic student. Um, I think we've had conversations when you were younger. There were things academically that you struggled with. There, there was like different, like maybe test anxiety or different little things that that uh, maybe don't come as easy for you as other people in general, but you always found a way to kind of persevere through those things. Something else I wanted to, to give you a compliment on is that you're a great example of one of those former students that whenever you did athletics for Logan County or ROTC competitions like Raiders, because you were in Raiders, right? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. So whenever, matters. whenever you represented, when you had Logan County on your uniform or on whatever you had, obviously for swimming, it'd be weird if you had Logan <laughs> County on your chest. But what I mean is that you always uh, competed for something bigger than just yourself. And obviously, swimming is a very individualized sport in, in many levels. But you represented the, your school and community so well, and I felt like, man, what a perfect individual to be in the Navy to represent not only the Navy but the country, and the fact that. I, I had the ability to teach and be as uh, dramatic as I am, Riley, and over the top as I am and risky as I tend to be as a teacher on the topics we discuss. I wouldn't have the ability to do that if it wasn't for individuals like you and so many others that voluntarily you know, take up the military, try to defend our country, these kind of ideas. That's flattering. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I, and I'm not trying to like embarrass you this morning or anything yeah. either. But it's just that's just kind of what I remember uh, from you in the past, and, I, and, I, and it makes sense to me that this transcends and carries on to where you're at now. Now, if you don't mind, do you feel like you're ready to transition to your experience at the Naval Academy, or would you like to kind of say anything to our listeners about high school before we move on to your next chapter? Uh, I guess I could say one more thing about high school. Um, I think it's very good for just high schoolers to have some sort of outlet, you know, uh, mine was swimming and physical fitness and uh, just something you can really put a lot of effort into. And I think that's a that's missing in a lot of uh, students these days. So if they can find something that they're really passionate about and put a hundred percent of their effort into, it will make their experience a lot better. So um, whatever your goals are, just, go after them with reckless abandon and push for whatever it is because you know high school is going to be over and you're going to look back on it and whether or not you made the most of it that's going to be your call you know riley uh whenever you were in high school i remember telling you all and i told my students now you know since you've been out i probably had one of the hardest years of my career i think the year after you were you left so that year after you left i think in that senior class we had two suicides so we had one right before Christmas, one after graduation in August. After that, we, we lost another one in a car accident. 
uh, about uh, less than a month after graduation too from that class. Probably one of the hardest years I've had as an educator, but I remember telling the students that do deal with anxiety and stress. Sometimes you hear people say, you know, enjoy high school. It's the best time of your life. And I always told you guys, please be careful when you say stuff like that, because, you know, you walk the halls at Logan with 1200 students, you know, not everybody has that kind of a lens or view of what's going on. Some of them are, are living and they're barely making it and have no support system. I'm not going to tell them, Hey, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> Cause yeah, it's, it doesn't. And for, just... Yeah. So for me, Riley, especially someone like you with, with, with the route that you took in your experiences the last three years, and obviously we're going to get into this is that, um, I would like to think that, yes, of course, I think you look back on high school, you enjoyed it. You, you got a lot out of it. It means a lot to you. But I would be surprised, Riley, if you and I sit down 10 years from now, 20 or 30, if you were to say high school is the best time of my entire life, that was the best experience I've ever had. Because it would just surprise me because, I mean, you have so much more of your life. I mean, that, that's, that's less than a quarter of hopefully what your life's going to be. Um, you should be able to have so many more meaningful experiences afterward. Just kind of what, what's your statement when, when you hear that, that kind of stereotypical, cause you acted like you hear, you've heard that before too. Oh, right? I've heard it. So yeah. Not just from me, but when people say something like that, especially for someone like you, that's taken the route you have after school and you've been out three years now to have the, the retrospect and scope and wisdom to kind of look back a little bit. Although mm -hmm. in honesty, Riley, you're going to look back at your 21 year old self later and be like, idiot <laughs> like that in some ways just based on it although you're you're way more intelligent than i was at 20 and 21 but just when you hear those kind of things um what, what is your response to that you know i just kind of laugh a little bit because um if if someone thinks that that is the um highlight of their life then they clear then they haven't tried to go for new potentials or tried new things or push themselves to new limits or gone out and made new friends or experienced other things in life. And um, though some people aren't as fortunate and don't get as great of opportunities, I think everybody uh, with a certain amount of will can be able to have a greater outlook on life and a greater, um, like just not being um, told that high school is the top of the, the top of your life. That's just, yeah, exactly. I don't want to look at life like that. Now, um, many high school students, not that you didn't go through your struggles, Riley, you're a high school student. You're trying to figure out who you are. You, you had struggles in high school, but I, I knowing your family as well as I did and, and what you always wrote about them and said about them, you had a wonderful support system. With your I, family. Did, yeah. I did too. Like I was very lucky uh, in high school and growing up to have parents that were very involved um, and going back to that, that what, what some students experiences can be so different. Um, Very true. That helped you a lot as far as getting through the, 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 some of the things that were challenging for you. I guess for, for you, having that support system helps keep your mind eyes, in your eyes on the prize and what's important for you. And it helped you get you through the tough times. What would you say for the students that maybe don't feel like they have that? Like I, I, for me personally, for example, Riley, not to just put you on a spot there. Mm -hmm. I, I used to say with like friends, like during the holidays, not every student has like this family, big family kind of get together. They don't really have that. Yeah. So I always tell the students, I say, hey, make your family out of whatever you have. If you have one friend that is like a rock to you, then make the most of that one friend. I think that there's been a survey that's been done throughout the decades about how many people do you have in your life that you, you could tell anything to. 
solid. And I think the average answer used to be around three or five. Now the average answer is zero, which is very, that's really sad to very say, to think that, because yeah. yeah, there's a lot of people that, you know, you have no one to bounce your ideas off, at least that you feel. I mean, I'm sure that there's mm-hmm. people that care about them no matter uh, on the side, but what would you say to students that, if you came in and talked to my class, which I hope that I'm lucky enough to have you back for a Socratic seminar someday in my room, is kids that say, I, I don't have that support system that you and Mr. Malcolmson had back in the day. What would your uh, advice be for someone like me? So I would say just, um, first off, there is always someone, whether you are able to see it or not, that is supporting you. So good example, Mr. Malcolmson, He's a great teacher. He's supporting all these students. And I know that if I had a problem, I could easily come up to him and talk to him and discuss something. So without a doubt, there are people in your life, whether it's an entire family or just one person that you can go to. So I would invo- I would just tell you to please like go try and actively find someone. There's mentors, you know, there's got to be someone who you can trust and go to. I, I have a mentor that I come back to and talk to all the time. He was a prior Green Beret in the Vietnam War, and he gives me such great insight on um, just the mindset and the attitude I need to have. And I'll come to him with just questions, and he's just such a great mentor to have. So that's that's honestly key to a person's success is having support. So just try your best to find somebody who you can turn to and uh, talk to about whatever it is. Riley, I believe that's great advice. And thank you for what you said uh, earlier about me. Um, It's uh, it's ironic because when I was your age, I also had a similar mentor myself. Uh, There was a man that everybody called him Pooner. Uh, it might as well have been his first name, but his, his name is Pooner Glenn. Uh, he was an older man. He was a World War II vet. He fought in the Battle of Bastogne, wow. uh, which I know you're familiar with, uh, Battle of the Bulge, uh, all of that. He was, he was in those, and uh, I was one of the few people he like, opened up to about his real experiences, graphic and meaningful and sad experience. Because when I was your age, I, I, it, this is right after 9-11, of course, because it was my mm-hmm. senior year when that happened. So, of course, I grew up, I was really into military stuff. I, I must have watched Band of Brothers like 10 times <laughs> whenever I was your age. Uh, and and I was dead set that I was going to do the Army because my father was in the Army. My grandfather was in the Army. My brother had joined the army before and he had basically begged me not to go i think he, he was worried about what was to come at his age he saw what world war ii became you didn't know what afghanistan iraq and all that was going to turn into we didn't know it'd be 20 years and we're still in them uh at this point the war on terror um but the, the conversations that he had with me he could have conversations with me that he, he didn't judge me for what i asked him uh, he would be very blunt with me about different things. You're right, Riley. If you feel like there's anyone around you that, that cares about you, it provides that kind of support, latch on to that as like a mentor and use that as an ability. I appreciate that, Riley. I know I'm a liar here, and I said that was the last high school question. But, man, I'm going to do one more. And it's a, oh, it's a, course, yeah. it's a very life questions. Um, I mentioned this to Riley earlier, the life questions packet that I always give my students. It's like this packet of 50 or 60 philosophy questions that give you all headaches when you're trying to figure out how to answer them. But Riley, now that you're almost 21, you've been out for three years, not, not to say you regret anything, because you you've never been the kind of guy that like lives in regret. But I, I just out of curiosity, if you could go back to yourself right now um, and give yourself advice your senior year on what's to come, what's one piece of advice that you would give 18-year-old Riley? Um, I would say 
be less serious. So I, in high school, I I joke around with some of my roommates here that I was just a stone cold killer, and <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just was kind of so serious all the time. And I think my roommates here have kind of really helped me to realize, like, you know, you need to laugh at yourself sometimes, jo- joke around, and you know, be humorous about things, and it'll help out the situation. And uh, that's something I would definitely. Uh, give as give some advice to if if i was listening back in the day so i think that would help me out that advice even resonates with me riley when i first became a teacher and i had your sister sheldon the first time i looked back and i just shook my head at the way i was as an educator (laughs) i was i was took everything way too serious i was super stressed out trying to figure out life in a new state trying to figure out how to teach for the first time and manage a classroom and and I've, i've had sheldon your older sister back um before in my class as a teacher now I think I had her back around the time you were still in school and uh she, she even noticed I was a, I was a very different teacher than what I used to be that that confidence and that you know I laugh at myself so much more now make fun of myself all the time it, it, it's true it, it, when you're younger especially when you're starting something new and you don't want to be misjudged and people to think that you're an idiot or something either yeah. so you're like I yeah, better yeah. be more serious than not serious enough because mm-hmm. you don't want to be recognized the class count guy all the time either but you're right I mean you're going to have to have moments in your life where you can step back and laugh at yourself a little bit too as you go forward and hopefully you still have those moments too riley okay riley uh next vicarious experience now so you have your acceptance letter in february right there around valentine's day um graduation comes you're you're one of the last couple of years where graduation was normal uh last (laughs) year we had a drive-through graduation it's looking like more than likely we're going to have another one of some kind of nature this year at least a smaller one compared to what you had in the past um that on, on the day of graduating high school and then you knew from what I remember and what you said earlier, you left that summer, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah that summer. Yeah, that's what I thought. And th- there were a few of you from that class of 300 or so that went off to some kind of military training in the summer at some basic training or something that happened. But when you got that, that, that fake diploma in your hand, uh, only to come in later and get your <laughs> real one. But that, that morning after graduation, when that head hits the off the pillow, it usually hits you like, you know, that's it now. Like that expectation of going to school that you've done for 13 years is not happening anymore in August. It's, it's now the world just went <laughs> like open up a lot more, I guess going into that summer, you're, you're still living in Logan County at this moment. You're, but you know where you're going and you're about to move. Um, what's going through Riley's head? Well, I, I knew exactly. I would be thinking about it too much. So I had a job, um, up until I left and, um, uh, I'd work out in the mornings before I went to work and uh, I had pretty late shifts. I'd get back late and I'd just be tired. So I didn't really think about it too much, which I was glad I got a job and kind of kept myself focused on other things and didn't really think about it too much. So that kind of took care of that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, again, a great idea. Always getting that summer job helps yeah. too before you have to leave. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, a little bit of a homesickness factor there when you first got to the Naval Academy. So walk us through that first day. So the first day that you arrive, is your family with you? Because I thought they went with you when you moved up, but maybe I'm thinking of the day when they could visit. Could you walk us through what was going through Riley's head when you when you first walked on that? I keep wanting to call it a campus. I don't know what really to call it a base campus, whatever it might be. But when you first walked on that, not visiting anymore, not being there as a kid because of your family, but you're, you're, you're enrolled. This is, this is you now. Um, what is going through Riley's mind? Yeah. Uh, 
So um, we call the campus the yard. And um, on I day, induction day, that's when we first showed up is June 28th. Uh, I said goodbye to my family and um, you start the you start the process of getting all your issued gear and getting your hair cut. And uh, it's the first time you see the detailers and they're the ones who yell at you and uh, make you feel like a scumbag, you know. <laughs> but um, that was an eye-opening experience. I had never been yelled at to that point. And um, they were just drilling you on stuff that you had to know. So like prior to I-Day, I had to memorize three things. It was the mission statement of the Naval Academy, the uh, first three general orders of a century and the chain of command. So like the honorable president Trump, you know, that sort of stuff. And um, they were drilling us on that. And the, uh, it was just, it was a long day. And I imagine so. And then you're like, oh gosh, I got six more weeks of this. <laughs> and then school starts. <laughs> yeah. Now when, when your head hit the pillow that night, that first night after all of that, well, what are you thinking? <laughs> I was like, holy smokes, you know, <laughs> I didn't know anybody. It was a foreign environment. Um, you just kind of get, to, you meet your roommate for the first time and you're just trying to throw things together real quick. You're trying to adapt to the situation. And um, the guy who was my roommate, we're actually incredible friends now, but it was just, <laughs> it was such a fun time because, <laughs> you know, you didn't know what to expect. And I was just, totally awestruck by the whole thing well again i'm sure like uh, everything you're you're like hyperactively like alert you're on yeah. high alert because mm -hmm. and that's just a normal human instinct you're you're thrusted into a situation that you don't you're not used to yet you don't really know necessarily know your environment yet and i guess one of the things that that i would assume would be at least a little bit uh of an empathy factor is that i would assume that most of the cadets or midshipmen uh, are going through a similar existential crisis as you, right? Very few of them probably know each other. Uh, so you're not only, it's not just like you're the only new guy thrown into a situation, but for the most part, I would assume a lot of them are, are brand new. Yeah, for the most part, a lot of them are brand new. Um, there's a prep school that a lot of, like about 200 from each class come from, and so they know each other kind of well. But for the most part, yeah, everybody everybody's foreign. Now, for you... Um, how long did it take for the academic part to start for classes? Um, After you got there, did it start within a week or so, or was it a little later? So we had the uh, plebe summer, which was six to seven weeks. Um, and then about a week after that, we had like a lot of briefs leading up to classes. So I'd say like eight weeks after I'd gotten okay. to the academy. Now, this is where we're getting into stuff that by all means, with respect, you do not have to share anything from if you're not allowed to be able to do that. Um, in, in a general sense, what is plebe summer? <laughs> plebe summer is, um, it's like what you think of with boot camp. So you get taught necessary skills and like they put you under a lot of stress and uh, like you have to memorize a lot of different stuff and physically you have to be capable and you're just constantly sweating. I remember sweating through three pairs of clothes in like an hour. They just oh, make wow. you do, sometimes they just make you do dumb stuff just because they can, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, it's the plebe part. It reminds you of the world history of plebeian, lower yep. class peasant, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, that was pretty much it. And uh, they, they really are just trying to get you to fail at something and then see how you react to it. And that's just kind of a huge theme here at the academy 
pushing past failure, pushing yeah. past shortcomings. That's that makes sense. So yeah. how, how different, and again, uh, I know that you didn't do this. I know some students will go through some form of basic training, sometimes even like in their summer, their junior year of high school and then kind of get in. Uh, how different really is the plead summer thing from basic training? It's, it's a little different. You know, we had guys come from the other boot camp. Like, so if you were to enlist in the Navy, we had guys who were prior enlistees who decided to come to the Academy to become an officer. And they said it was quite different, but it's different for, um, you know, specific reasons. Like we're not being trained the same ways as enlisted are supposed to be trained. And that's because we have different job descriptions. So they're trying to develop us in a way that'll help best suit us for our job. Yeah. So it's a little bit different than enlisted boot camp, but there's other stresses um, and uh, other things that, that the other places don't encounter. Yeah. Well, that, that's cool. And again, thanks for giving us a little bit of that difference on there too. Your, your roommate's like, I could really use you to shut up now. <laughs> All right. But, uh, but no, Ron, I guess you, you brought up something interesting there about, uh, and it makes sense that they're trying to see what you're going to fail at, uh, whether yeah. it's physically or mentally. Do you recall what was the first thing you failed at? I think it was probably rates that they're, um, they give you this little book called reef points and it's just, couple hundred pages of stuff you have to memorize and some of it's really you know really cool and you can tell it's something that you definitely need to memorize other stuff is dumb like this so, is mundane <laughs> yeah it's uh like one for example they, they ask you how's a cow and then you say sir she walks she talks she's full of chalk the lacteal fluid extracted from the female the bovine species is highly prolific to the blank degree and the blank yeah. is uh like what year there's that detailer who asked you yeah. was supposed to graduate. So like stuff <laughs> like that, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Why do I have to memorize this? Yeah. But um are they just I, trying to test out your ability to for memory and memory, yeah. Orders. And, and I mean I, I, I assume like if you're in a in a situation where you're you know in a in a war zone or something like that, you, you're gonna need to be able to think cognitively very clear under duress. And I, I kind of get these exercises, yeah. especially mm -hmm. throwing at you like little little random things like that. I guess they're trying to see how detailed can Riley and the others really be. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um they want to see how you react under like stress and literally upfront confrontation and around your peers most of the time they'd call you out around your peers and see how you handle uh the situation and yeah. um I, I i was pretty bad at those yeah i, I get it too again i, I don't that's that's gotta be i'm sure whenever you were like prepping for the naval academy that might not have been high on your prep list yeah it wasn't <laughs> memorizing things about a cow uh, mm -hmm. on there practicing <laughs> those kind of sound uh, or word puzzles and trying to get those in there but again like you said it's all part of the learning process and, and trying to get you ready for what's going to be uh next ahead of you now um Again, this isn't a, a knock on your character either. I'm not trying to do that, but I do admire when people admit flaws. And, and again, you're, you're doing that today on the, on the podcast episode. Where, where, was there a moment there early on where you thought, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make this. Or did you, did you stay like the way you were in high school? Did you stay pretty driven like, no, I'm not going to let that get to me? You know, I don't think I really encountered that up until um, just recently. And I can tell you about that uh later when we get to that part i guess of my journey but uh plebe summer wasn't necessarily like yeah. that hard 
but some of the other things I've dealt with here at the academy have been pretty difficult. Yeah, and I imagine so. I mean, they don't just let anybody into that naval academy. They're gonna, <laughs> and, and it's prestigious too for many multiple reasons. All right, so let's uh, we're, we'll get past the, that plebe summer now. I get away from the PTSD that must be existence from that, <laughs> and then move into uh, I guess now similar to giving advice for because i've wanted to do an episode for a while getting a few students together for like a round table for ones that went to college and saying you know how do you survive your first semester of college how do you survive that first year what did you do what were some of the hardships so i guess riley um what, what does you look at that that one year in a microcosm and then we'll do the, the scope of your entire journey and you can share what you were going to share earlier and we'll yeah. wrap it up on there because we're, we're, we're kind of just walking through that so as far as you know we're, we're through plebe summer we're into your academic courses now uh going through that first year can you describe your journey that first year at the academy Oh man, my first year was uh, pretty brutal, to be honest. Academically, um, here at the academy, no matter what major you are, you still have to take a lot of STEM classes. So I have had to take uh, calculus all the way up to three, physics one, physics two, chem one, chem two. I'm taking electrical engineering this semester. So there's besides the fact that I'm a history major, I still have to I still had to take all those other yeah, all those other classes, and uh, I think the hardest thing for me was being able to uh, like find a way to be able to do everything that they asked me within a day and do all of it as successfully as possible. So it seemed like there wasn't enough time sometimes. Well, that's one thing I've heard consistent over the years that I've taught. I'd say after my fourth year, when your sister Sheldon in that class went off to college or went off to life, and I started asking them for some advice for my current students, it always seems like time management is a consistent concern. I feel like that's a life thing you know, yeah. forever. I mean, mm -hmm. I imagine Riley someday, I don't know if you want to be doing this, but you know, being in the military, working and having a family potentially, maybe even a home or something and managing all these uh, things together. So I assume time management in life, doesn't really get much easier. It's just, you just have more things that you have to work and organize around. Um, so again, it makes sense. Now, what was, uh, you mentioned those STEM classes. I remember having to take core classes as well. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very impressed being a history major. Do you mind what, uh, that I ask, what's going to be your follow-up? What, what do you hope to do with the, your history uh, degree? Well, um, you know, when I picked history, I didn't necessarily pick it thinking about uh, what I oh, would the do job, with it after. the job market after. Yeah, because, yeah. uh, you know, I don't really necessarily want to be a teacher at this moment. But, um, like, I, I personally, with the classes that I can choose besides the ones that they make me take, I thought, you know, history, I can learn a lot from people's mistakes, learn some valuable lessons and, like, help me make me a better person, better officer along the way. And um, a lot of the things that we do in the history major are very applicable, like as an officer, we'll be writing papers a lot, we'll be doing evaluations, we'll be using source based evidence to yep. like, help give people promotions. So I was like, you know, I feel like this is a good fit for me. And I enjoy reading and writing a lot more than math and science. Yep. I assume by your third year, you've been exposed to Chicago style citation oh, already. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, I, I had to ask, um, do, you know, what's been one, okay, two question one here is, do, do you like some of your history classes that you're taking? And then maybe what's been the most challenging history class you think you've taken so far? So I do like 
the history classes a lot. Um, it's a different setup than most of the high school ones. It's mainly reading a lot before the class starts and you discuss what you read in the class. Yeah. And then, you know, they don't tell you when papers are due. You just look at the syllabus and you write those papers. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't have us barking on you know, yeah. your face all the time when things are due. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but one of my most challenging courses was a, uh, a seminar. It was a uh, preliminary to like what history majors actually do. And so at the end of the semester we did was called a history prospectus. So you basically write um, the foundation of a really long research paper, but you don't necessarily give the conclusions. You give all yeah. the evidence and you build it all up. And um, the hardest part for me was actually narrowing it down to a topic that hasn't really been researched before. So like something that's unique. That was well, hard for me. What was your topic? So the class was on Panama and the Canal. Oh, nice. And um, I decided to go with, I was like, I kind of want to do something medical. And um, there was a huge problem with mosquito-borne diseases. And so uh, I was just looking at some of these charts and I was like, you know, there's some sort of correlation here that um, there's so many people dying from this disease during the time that they were building the Panama Canal. I wonder why that was. And so I kind of dove into uh, the reasons behind that and a lot of it was do, uh, was because of the misuse of medication or you know blankets blanket uh, medication use and uh, mistreatment of some of the racial tendencies like of the workers and um, yeah that's pretty much what I based it on and actually I did pretty good on that my teacher actually asked me to present that later at a conference which got canceled but I was pretty proud of that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I, I remember the first time I had a professor offer anything beyond the class that with an essay I wrote or some kind of paper, uh, which happened for me once, uh, something not, not, not nearly on that scale, but I remember when they just wanted to publish it and submit it to the library on campus to keep on the records. And that just meant a lot to me to know that you can do that. So any essay writing you did in, in high school, Riley, I'm sure now it just compels in comparison. <laughs> those those uh, three to five page essays you had to do in your your senior class don't even matter. I think my yeah. largest history paper was 65 pages that, that I ended up typing. I don't know, uh, what's, what's the longest one you've had to write so far? Um, I think mine's been about 15. It yeah. hasn't been crazy. Of course, that, but... that was my last one too. I mean, right at the very end, you pretty much are doing like, uh, not, not a thesis, but you're doing like a basically a master or a defense kind of uh, paper on that side. Yeah. Now, are you done with your STEM classes now, kind of like core, and you're just doing really classes that for the academy and focus on your major or are you still having to do stem classes every year still every semester you usually have some sort of stem class okay and i didn't validate anything so i am always usually around 18 credits uh, every semester and um the majority of them are mandatory classes that i need to graduate yeah. so i after this semester i still have to take classes like thermodynamics um i took a summer class on cyber operations. Everybody here has to take two classes on cyber. Yeah, I figured so. I mean, look at how warfare has changed yeah, so much. It's, uh, yeah, it's really progressing in, in that direction. But um, those first couple of years where I had to take physics, calculus, and chemistry, those were 
those were pretty hard here. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> I remember your mom just kind of telling me that the the, the school part is it was definitely challenging for you. Oh, been, I mean, obviously yeah. you made it through, but it was it was a eye opening moment for you for sure. Uh, okay, so let's go be uh, past that first year now. Something that I'm kind of curious because you mentioned about just all the times of different people. Now, obviously in Logan County, Kentucky, we come from mostly a, a Christian based like area and conservative area for the most part, but you're meeting people from different states, different countries, different ethnic backgrounds, uh, different interests that they have, cult, you know, religious, cultural uh, differences. I guess now looking at the scope of your entire experience at the academy, um, has it opened up your mind? Not that you weren't already open-minded, but just meeting that many different people and getting that many different perspectives of what they like, what they don't like. Uh, and obviously, I'm sure in, in your own private time, there's opinions about the government and the president and, you know, seeing what's kind of gone on throughout the year. Ha has that opened up your mind these last three years more about uh, faith? Uh, because you've always been a strong, faithful guy, faith and, and just uh, different people's lives, what people go through, where they've come from. I know that's an ambiguous question I ask you rightly, but just kind of in general, how has being there for three years and being around so many different kind of people, how's that changed, how, how's that impacted your perspective of society? Oh, it's impacted it greatly. Um, we have people from all around the world who come either from a semester abroad or um, they actually come for all four years or we've got people from all over the United States. So my roommate, um, one's from New Mexico and the other is from North Carolina. And that's just one little piece. So we got people from Hawaii, from, uh, you know, Alaska, pretty much anywhere in the United States. Every single state is represented here. And um, I think that's just something that the Academy is really good at and makes a prerogative in teaching, like you need to be an open-minded person as, an, as a Naval officer and you're going to be dealing with people, you're going to be working with people who are from all over the place and uh, allied partners or even the sailors and Marines that uh, will be under your command that are going to be from all over the United States. And so I think um, the academy, like the culture here is good at getting you to try and work well with others. So I've seen some people who showed up here that necessarily weren't real good team players but over the years they've definitely progressed up into a point where they're just um, really easy to talk to and really easy to work with really nice to work with and I think that's something the academy does really well well you mean you said something interesting because I assume just like any career or job, you're going to have to deal with conflict and confrontation from time to time. Yeah. Not, not to say there, there might not be a structured class on it. Is there any kind of specific training that you all have to go through in dealing with confrontation? Yeah. Um, so we take a class on ethics. Most It's basically military ethics, and we go through uh, different philosophy of decision-making and kind of dealing with the what we call the gray space area. You know, black and white, there's never really a, a black and white decision in uh, modern conflict. So, um, yeah, we kind of figure out how to make justified decisions. And honestly, just the academy itself, we're all here in one dormitory system. That is a big component to learning how to deal with a situation. And that's where we get our, like, quote unquote, liberal arts education is through our experiences in leadership positions and um, as upperclassmen, like influencing 
the underclassmen. Yeah, exactly. Now, with you being there, uh, this is your third year now. When are you on pace to graduate? Uh, 2022. 2022. So it'd be just like normal college, four okay, years. Normal four years. Normal I know. Four I've years. had students that have been on such an accelerated thing that I had one student out of all the years I taught. She graduated in like two and a half years, but she took like 20 something credit hours every semester. I don't even know how she made it, but she did. <laughs> and I think she left high school with like already as a sophomore uh, credit wise as well, too. So, um, okay. So I want to give you the respect of doing this. So if you forgot it already, Riley, that's fine. Looking back at your entire three-year scope that you've been experiencing, you were going to mention something earlier, but you said that maybe we need to wait until later to discuss it. Do you want to use that now? I thought you were yeah, going to sure. mention something. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Um, so my, what I wanted to do for the longest time in the Navy is uh, like special operations somewhere in that community. So like ground combat, uh, which is not, it's a very highly selective community in the uh in the navy so um there was one teacher i will never forget this that said um he gave us some great advice it sounds kind of bad but he said there's one thing i hope all of you all get to experience i hope all of you all get to experience some sort of failure here at the academy i hope you guys get to experience dealing with a shortcoming and overcoming it somehow and um, thought that was pretty powerful. And funny enough, that same semester, I had probably dealt with one of the biggest shortcomings that I've had so far in my life, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I know as since sixth grade, I've been wanting to do the same dream. And I start the application process this year. So there's a huge physical portion of it. It's usually around a day long where they fly in instructors and they just beat you to crap. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> You just think, wow, I've got so much more of this. And, um, you know, you just got to think about just one foot in front of the other, that sort of thing. And um, I got performance dropped. And that was just kind of like a a letdown. I was like, I've been training. I've been training a lot for this. And then I get performance dropped from it. And um, that was a huge setback for a little while. A couple of weeks, I was just kind of sitting there thinking about it and um finally finally start getting back into training into it and without that experience I wouldn't have known what I needed to work on to get better so I I figured out real quick that these were my weaknesses and now I know what to focus on so my entire break at home was besides you know having fun with family really gearing towards working out as hard as possible to get these weaknesses, focus on these weaknesses and uh, become better. Now, Riley, that was an awesome story to share. I don't think that that was bad at all. I, I, I understand what you mean. I think most of our listeners will too, but I hope that you do get to experience failure and then that, that feeling of perseverance over that. And again, so you've been working in preparation for that. Are, are you going to get to do that, that, um, that test again, basically? Yes. That physical test? Yeah. Okay, so was that test, was that supposed to be part of the process of getting towards special ops, or was it more mm-hmm. of kind of an early, you know how people take practice ACTs to find yeah. out what they need to work on? Well, is it more of, hey, we're going to test you, and here's, if you want to do special ops later, uh, this is what you need to be working on. Was it supposed to be constructive like that, or was it actually fail or pass, like you have to get past this right here now to move on to the next part of the process? You, um, yeah, it's part of the process so it's a it's a really long process so if you if you make it through that 
and you uh, get selected, you get to go to the summer evaluation course, which is like a couple weeks long. And it's another just grueling session where they evaluate you mentally and physically and see if you're a good fit or not to when you graduate, go to BUDS, which is the training course, training pipeline to be a special operations. That, that was my candidate. next follow-up question for you, Riley, because I'm going to recommend it to you later. If you Have you ever heard of Jocko podcast? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I listened to it religiously. Yeah. I was like, man, Riley needs to be listening to some Jocko for sure. Um, and then it's my next follow-up question was going to be, uh, if you want to do special ops, I assume that a Navy SEAL is kind of is that where you're, where you're, is yeah, it that's kind it. of, a, yeah. I didn't know if there was more. And then I know that Buds is usually that first really, really difficult for a trade. Although as Jocko and others would share on the show that things are very different after Buds. But I assume that after graduating from the Naval Academy, if you're on the, the correct trajectory, would mm-hmm. Buds be the next logical step? Buds would be the next logical step. Yeah. Okay. But so, there are a lot of other options in terms of getting there. So there's a lot of officers who don't get it right out of the gate who have to serve a, do a deployment somewhere else and then get the chance to go and try, like try at it. So it's not like, this is my last opportunity, but yeah. it was just kind of a kick in the rear, you know? Oh, I'm sure it was. I mean, I, that, that right there makes you fall. Like you said, you had to step back for a couple of weeks and really kind of reflect on what was going on. And you, I mean, again, Riley, you also come across to me as a guy that's, you're not really used to failing. Uh, yeah, that's something yeah. either. And I, I guess what, you know, um, I, I want to ask you more of a psychology question than Riley, because you kind of went from the failure and then you were thinking about it to do right back in the training. But mm-hmm. uh, I think our listeners are missing something in between there. And maybe you can bridge that together. And what I mean is, uh, how do we, how were you able to do that mentally? How were you able to, to find it, to kind of come to terms with what maybe you 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 might have done wrong or not not done well enough to do, but how did you kick it in gear? Like some people get knocked down and it's it's very difficult for them to get through. So what what convinced you to say gotta gotta, gotta just get back up now? Gotta start working again. This is my plan. This is what I'm gonna do. How did you do that? Yeah. Um, so the the screener was very physically and mentally taxing the entire semester. So I just decided take a couple weeks off, decompress a little bit, and come up with a plan and uh you know you start to feel some doubt sometimes you know especially when it's kind of that big and publicized like pretty much everybody here at the academy knew I was all my classmates knew I was performance dropped and it kind of it, it just made my environment a little bit different but um there's a book that I read once um Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's I have, I have heard that. I haven't read it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It's an incredible read and um, probably one of my favorite books of all time. But anyways, Viktor Frankl went through um, the Holocaust and he survived the whole um, ordeal and pretty much gives a lot of insight on how to deal with anything that life throws at you, really. And uh, one quote I actually wrote down that I think is really good is um, what man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling of some goal worthy of him. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meeting waiting to be fulfilled by him. The part that I like a lot is the striving and struggling of some goal worthy for him. So in my opinion, this is that goal that I've been going after for so long. And 
it's going to be a huge sacrifice in my life and I'm going to struggle a lot to eventually achieve this, but this is what life is about. You get up when you get knocked down. And this is a worthy goal for you. It's and worthy, again, yeah. it, it, it gives It gives credence to what it is that you're trying to strive for and what this year for. And even just taking your old advice from high school, you have this set kind of place where you want to end up being at. Well, you know that the performance drop sends you into a different direction, but it doesn't mean, like you said earlier, you can't get eventually where you want to be. I assume that along the way, there could be multiple hiccups. There could be some different challenges and obstacles, but Riley, if anybody can overcome that stuff, it's definitely you. Not to say it's going to be easy whatsoever, but you know that already. Like, I don't have to tell you don't have to be easy. It's not like you're, I'm talking to Riley in high school. So yeah. you, you know what you're shooting for. I, I like that you mentioned um, an outside text, like a supplemental text that spoke to you. I, I think I'm going to link that, that Victor Frankel novel. I'll link that in the show notes because I usually try to make my show notes really detailed, Riley. And anything mm -hmm. that you all recommend on the podcast, I want to link it so our listeners can go, hey, I, I want to maybe get that book. To be honest with you, Riley, I need to order that book. I've it's heard a, multiple people recommend that book to me. And I think I, I could probably even use that as an educator. It's a, it's a good book. Yeah, I would recommend it to anybody. I recommend it to people all the time. And it's just got incredible wisdom on just... Uh, what he experienced and his insight and just trying to find meaning in someone's life. That's a big thing because a lot of people are struggling with what, should, what do they want to do in life? And this is like, this helps out a lot. Well, we see that a lot with Jordan Peterson, who's become popular the last few years that I think you would like to, that uh, a sense of aimlessness or a, a life without meaning, that could be a very uh, dangerous life for yourself and other people around you to do too, because you, you need that aim and you need to be able to have that thing to strive. Now, when you were reading, when you read that book, uh, Riley, how did you, how did you come across that book to read it? Is it something you bought on your own where you assigned the book? Um, and, and, and did you read it at like the, that time, you know, how sometimes it thing it feels like things happen at the right time for a reason. So what led you to reading the book? Well, actually I had, um, I really like asking people, what books they recommend and especially people that I aspire to be like. So there was an upperclassman in my, uh, my plebe year that I had asked. I really looked up to the guy and he was on a path to do the same thing that I want to do. And um, I was like, Hey, do you got any books you recommend for this, this sort of style of uh, kind of just deep thinking stuff? And he's like, Oh yeah, here's one right here. Man's search for meaning. He said, that's one of the greatest books I've ever read. Check it out. And so I, that was when I read it, when I ordered it. So most of the time when I read books, I try to highlight quotes or something that I really, really like a lot. And time and time again, I'll put them in a document and I'll look back on what I read and just kind of take back in the stuff that I really appreciated about the book. I think that's powerful. Now, other than the Viktor Frankl book, is there any other quotes or um, uh, text that you would recommend our listeners to maybe check out? Yeah. Um, so there's this book, if you're interested in being in the military, um, I read this over the summer. It's called The Warriors, Reflections on Men in Battle by J. Glenn Gray. And it's a very philosophical approach to what combat um, operatives experience in the field. And um, he just talks about all of these, these incredible things. He talks about death. What, what the soldier experiences in those moments and how he feels, how different approaches um, cause different actions, you know, and death, love, uh, 
just all sorts of things. And one quote from that one that I really like a lot is, um, unless human beings are pushed to the extreme, we are not so likely to confront simple and primal realities or to reflect about them. So this was geared towards death, which is, you know, not something most people want to think about. I don't like thinking about it. No one likes thinking about it. Yeah, nobody wants but, to dwell on it. Yeah. But until until humans are pushed to a point where you have to think about it, you're not going to think about it. And I can relate that to pretty much a lot of other things that are extreme, like failure. Nobody wants to think about failure until you get to the point where you fail. Yeah. So I think it's in our best interest to not don't go out and like intentionally fail, but go out and push yourself. And if you fail, like learn from those lessons and it will make you a better individual. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It, it was, uh, I know Riley, I think you you probably found out from your mom. Um, I lost my older brother this fall uh, from a second stroke, but around the time, you know, I've been studying philosophy independently now for two years. I can't afford to go back to college again. This is as good as it's going to get. But uh, so I, you know, I just really started this couple of years ago, starting to started with the ancient Greek philosophers and kind of working my way through. But one of the schools of philosophy that kind of helps me a lot that I think that you could relate to is stoicism or stoicism. Stoic. Yeah. I've, I've, and I, I finally read Marcus Aurelius's meditations. meditations which is one of your, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, I happened to read it at the right time. Like when I asked you that question earlier, like right after my brother uh, passed away and I was reading the book and it helped me also reflect on death in, in a kind of a proactive way. I know many of the Stoics and many other philosophers will say not to dwell on death, but like as soon as you accept death, like the like to face death head on that, it's something that's going to happen to all of us someday. Uh, you, you, you get to this point where you can kind of live your life more virtuously and, and, and kind of push forward and, and, and realizing that. And you've known me over years, Riley. You know that I've been a type of teacher that I try to make it to where I could talk about anything. Like if you wanted to talk about death or love or hate or anything like that, it's good. Um, thank you for another uh, book reference. I wrote that down. I'll make sure I hyperlink that as well on Amazon because I, I would be interested in that. That Jocko Willick book, I think it's called Leadership Tactics and something. I can't remember the, the full title. I, I, I'm also looking forward to buy in that soon he's also got another one called extreme ownership which yeah extreme uh, ownership yeah i don't know if you've heard of that that's one. his company echelon front that him and his uh mm -hmm. trust me i'm a huge taco willick fan. i'm the guy that looks for notifications when the next episode pops <laughs> up i'm probably going to be a paid member pretty soon because he just started jocko underground uh, for like $8 a month or $9 a month, something like that. So I'll probably even invest in that. Because, you know, as a military historian, Riley, like he, some of these conversations with special ops, especially the Vietnam stories are incredible. The, the most recent Korean ones, man, with, especially with where you want to go to, these are some really meaningful uh, stories. But even after your military experience way in the future, Riley, let's just say if you retired from the military later on, I, I still see you being a leader uh, someday in, in, in the in the regular world, the civilian world too, in some capacity. Maybe you're not a teacher, maybe it's a business one, but that's what I like about Jocko is that uh, he, he does it not just in a military sense, but you can relate that to, to teaching, to business, all these other tactics, which is great too. Um, if I come across, I'm thinking, I'm having a brain fart here, Riley. There, there's definitely, because you like to be recommended, there's definitely... Um, a book that I'd recommend. Am I allowed, are we allowed to like send you stuff? Like if I wanted to mail yeah. you a book mm -hmm. with like a note yeah. in it. Okay, so I'll, I'll get your address later. We're not going to publish that over the podcast, <laughs> but I'll get it from you later. I got a book that really spoke to me over the years that I think will be great. And I'll write you a personalized uh, message in it too. And uh, I'll try to send that off to you because I think it'll mean 
uh, especially at this point in your life where you're, you know, you're only about a year, year and a half away from another transition. Like my twin brother has that podcast called Chapters, very similar to this, but, you know, obviously each section of your life is like a chapter. So yeah. in a way, graduating high school was a new, you're going into a new chapter where you're about to go in, you know, if you do, and I hope you do make it to the special ops stuff after, after uh, the Naval Academy, but getting out of the Naval Academy and moving on to your next level, there's another, you're the new guy again. I, mm -hmm. I think life's filled with being the new woman or the new guy experience all the time and having to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and yeah. just like uh, accept it on. And if that makes any sense. Oh, we hear that <laughs> so, one all the time. Yeah, yeah. So basically trying to make the most of the situation you're in. Okay. So last question before we do closing thoughts, Riley, um, looking back now at, at this entire experience at the Naval Academy, obviously it's very challenging to get in. How do you reflect on your entire experience? What has this experience meant for you in, in a way, I guess I would love to have you back after graduation. Uh, and just kind of see where, where that goes. But my two-part last question here is, how do you reflect back on your whole experience? And then um, I guess you've already shared what's in the future. For the future of Riley, I was going to ask that last. So I guess just looking back on your experience, how do you reflect on it in general? And how do you feel like you've changed and grown over these last three years? Um, so I like to journal a lot. And I've, it's something I've taken up while I've been here. I've been taught, you know, it's really important to just kind of write your thoughts down. Um, you know, whatever it is, I'll write it down if it's something I think that I really will value later on. And um, I'll, I'll often look back on those and just kind of reread stuff. And it helps me to reflect and think about like how I can take advantage of this next semester and get better. Because for me, um, a huge thing for me is just trying to, improve in any way that I can, like as an individual, as a person. And um, like, that's the thing here. So many people are just so impressive. You got people who are valedictorians, people who have done all sorts of stuff or missionaries across the United, like across the world, um, just done insane stuff. And that's the people I have, that I get to surround myself with. But then again, people that I compete against too. So um, sometimes it's nice to just kind of take a step back from that specifically and just kind of just think about how am I improving myself? And that kind of helps me to just stop comparing myself and just think about, okay, this is what I need to do to get better and get, get on track to where I need to be. Um, in reflections in total, uh, my time at the academy so far is I've been very thankful. We do summer trainings over the summer and those have been insane. I got to work with the infantry Marines uh, one summer. I got to do a surface cruise out in the Atlantic Ocean. And um, I was supposed to go to the scout sniper course this past summer, but that got canceled because of COVID. Uh, I was a plebe summer detailer and uh, all these experiences have helped boost my confidence and my abilities to make decisions and, uh, just to kind of be adaptable. I think that's the biggest thing. The Academy's really taught me to be ad adaptable in whatever situation they throw at you, so. That's awesome, Riley. I think your your experience that you shared and what that's meant to you has been great. And just the traveling, like you said, alone, going to different places, networking with all these different people and cultivating relationships that you never know, Riley, that they, they, you, know, you can meet someone in these trainings or, or someone along your education that you're going to school with or, or collaborating with other branches of the military and traveling. Oh, yeah. You just never know when opportunities yeah. you're, you're the kind of guy that I feel like 
um, if an opportunity presents itself that could really benefit you and benefit the people that are close to you, you're, you're going to strongly consider that. You're going to take advantage of it in a meaningful way. Riley, I'm, I'm extremely proud of you, man. I, I know that I, I'm proud of, <laughs> of all my students, but obviously, like, I'm proud for every student in different ways. And mm-hmm. I, I think that you're a great role model. And it, it's not to say that you or me or anybody else is without fault. None of us are perfect. We're not deities or yeah. anything like that. So, uh, please, man, you know, continue to take care of your mental health as well as your physical. You, you definitely seem like you've always been really good on that. You know that I'm always here if you need to talk. Um, same with anybody of your other siblings that I had or in family. You guys have always been kind to me. But Riley, just thank you for investing your time. The, the fact that you were willing to spend almost an hour and a half. Can you believe it? It's been you and I talking for about an hour and 15 minutes. So yeah, uh, uh, I don't know flew. if it feels like it went by that fast. So hopefully it felt like an organic conversation. Obviously uh, we could say different things, maybe even use different language if we're in person uh, that, that we're either together that, uh, but I'm looking forward to being up with you in person uh, the next time you're back home um, for closing thoughts, Riley, just, um, what did you think of doing the podcast, having a chance to share your experiences a little bit, and, and also just being on your first podcast? Hopefully, you're on future ones, not just for me, but other opportunities later. What was just your overall thoughts of being on the podcast? I, I really appreciated you uh, reaching out and asking me to be on this. I think it's an honor um, that you would even consider my story to be something of importance to uh, maybe help somebody out later on the road with whatever they decide to do. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's just really humbling to be able to hopefully like live a life that people will look at and say, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd take advice from that person. Exactly, Riley. Even if one, because to me, uh, every human life is extremely valuable. Exactly. So if yeah. one person, I don't care what age they are, listens to this and gets something different from it, uh, you know, more empathy, or maybe they get motivated more to do that or, or re-aim their life or whatever there might be, especially being a, a, a younger individual to be able to do that, then it's worth it. it it's totally worth it. Because for one thing, for me, I mean, this podcast started two years ago, Riley, for me to learn. It was like me putting my my independent education of philosophy and history and all these ideas out in public and letting everybody join in on the journey with me. But it's became much more than just about me. I know Roddy, mm-hmm. for sure. You have one person here. You've opened my eyes up more about it. Give me more perspective. You, you made me feel like I'm caught up in your life a little bit more. Others, there's still way more that an hour and 20 minutes could really fit in a, in a podcast, but it does mean a lot to me to have this on there. Now, Roddy, I know you have the text, you have friends, you have family, you have the quotes, that, that motivate you. If you ever need reminder of uh, to to get through the the suck, uh, to get through it as much <laughs> as you can, don't be afraid to freaking load up Spotify, Apple, or you know Stitcher, whatever you use for podcasts. Because I know you listen to Jocko. Um, don't be afraid to go back and listen to this again, just to remind yourself, like a journal. Um, man, look what you've been through. Look what you still have left to be able to go, man. I, I just can't wait to talk to you. you no, know, five years and ten years, or and more from now, as you go through your life and you have all these experiences um, and see how it changes you and, and you grow, is going to be amazing. Obviously, Riley, I hope to have the honor the next time that you're in town and we have school normally where we can have guests. I would love to actually have you in in the circle like you used to be as a student someday, and you can help me devil's advocate the sophomores and help them make them think out the box. I give you a chance to torture them for a while yeah. uh, in that way but uh, Riley thank you for your time for our guest as always please keep your eyes and your mind open and be contagious have a wonderful day if you want to change the world start off by making your bed
If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better.